Hey, this is Kelly Whiffen. Thanks for joining us today for the Encounter Church podcast. We all want to live lives of better decisions and fewer regrets. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, we believe the next 30 minutes can be one of the most helpful and hopeful parts of your week. At the end of the podcast, stay tuned for a couple messages. Thanks again for joining us today. Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. My name is Chris Causey. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm so glad that you chose to join us on this liquid, sunshiny day that we're having right now. Um, it's a great Mother's Day uh, to my mom, who always watches and always tells me it's the best one ever, um, even when it's not. I love you. Happy Mother's Day. Um, for those who are in this room um, who are mothers, happy Mother's Day. For those who are in this room who are struggling in a journey towards motherhood, whether it's in adding more or having one in your family, or whether it's a season of grief because you lost one. just want you to know we see that and that we're praying for you. And even to you, I hope that this Mother's Day is a day where God meets you in the midst of it and gives you encouragement and support and inspiration. Uh, that's the hope. And that uh, there's something bigger in this room. There's something greater than even the words that I have that bring comfort. And I know that he has walked through um, our journey with infertility for seven years leading up to this August when we're, ha- we're going to have a second child. And God meets us in those moments. And so just wanted you to know, love you, praying for you. Happy Mother's Day. Joyful Mother's Day, even in the midst of the grief. Um, we're in the midst of a series called Spent. And every time I see that video, it stresses me out because I feel like that video captures life. It's nonstop. It's never ending. It's constant. And... Uh, The thesis of this kind of series and the kind of four talks in the midst of it is really this, that if you're going to get the most out of life, it's not found by adding more to life, it's by adding less to it. That oftentimes we fall into the trap of believing that to get the most out of life, I need to add more to it. Whether it's more stuff or it's more titles or it's more success or it's more things in my schedule. Um, but in the end, more actually ends up leading to even less in our lives. And so this idea of most found through more, I actually came across a video that I felt like really captured it visually in about 30 seconds. And here's this video. Is it kind of this internet viral video? Uh, there are 100 kids going against three professional soccer players. You watch this. There are 10 goalies, by the way. And it doesn't work. I just, when I saw that video, I was like, man, that is it, isn't it? We, we're just convinced if we throw everything, if we keep shoving things into our life, We can get the most out of it. But three soccer players just decimated 100 kids in the course of 30 seconds without even touching them. And 10 little goalies couldn't stop the little tiny lob that went flying over their head. And Jason last week um, started a conversation around probably our most uh, kind of tense or frustrated place when it comes to this idea of being spent, and it's in our schedule. Uh, The most... The most limited resource you and I have is time. It's the only one that you can't get back. You can't recover it. 
It's, it's always fleeting. And it's very limited. And how we manage our schedule, how we manage our calendar, is one of the most critical things that we do with our lives. Last week, Jason left us with two questions that were really helpful in beginning this conversation of what do I need to start doing, what do I need to stop doing if I'm going to maximize my time. And what I want to do is take it to that next level, continue the conversation around our calendar, and say, what does it look like to get the most out of our time? And to do this, I want to introduce you to a framework, a framework that is found in one simple proverb in the book of Proverbs. It's a sentence written 3,000 years ago. And like most proverbs written um, in the book of Proverbs, its simplicity can kind of deceive us to the significance that's lurking underneath the surface. Uh, this sentence introduces us to a framework that I'm going to call a win-win. And it's a little different. It's a play on word. In fact, when I say win-win, this is what, I, this is what I'm actually saying. The English language is tricky like that. Sometimes you say the word and it sounds like a word, but it's a different word, right? I don't know who invented that. They should probably be slapped because this makes it hard sometimes to learn this language. But I mean win-win. This framework of win-win is, I believe, at the core to us getting the most out of our life. And it's found in the book of Proverbs in chapter 24, verse 27. And Jason referenced the app a few minutes ago. Um, we've already preloaded that passage in the app for you. And if you're still in the process of downloading it, just like the phrase win-win is up on the screen, uh, this sentence that we're going to dive into today is up there as well. Um, just to give you a little bit of backdrop, because when I say the book of Proverbs, it's helpful to know where that book of Proverbs comes from. I don't mean a proverb that you pull off a shelf somewhere that's like an apple a day keeps a doctor away. I mean something a little different. It was Proverbs written primarily by a man named Solomon. He was the king of Israel. He was perhaps Israel's greatest or second greatest king. He was the most prolific builder um, economist, he was the most successful king in Israel's history. Israel, as an ancient nation, expanded their borders during, under his leadership. Uh, money became so common in the day that silver, which, which used to be an ancient kind of valuable metal used for trading, became so common it was basically worthless. I mean, so this is a huge, significant, successful time period in Israel's history. And Solomon's kind of source for wisdom came from God, and through the course of his life, he wrote down a series of Proverbs that we now um, have in what's called the Book of Proverbs, and it's found in the Old Testament, which is kind of volume one of the Christian scriptures or the Bible. And Solomon's focus in bulk of writing these Proverbs really was to prepare his children for the day that he died. Solomon understood as a great king that one day he would pass on um, and the throne and that he had a kind of responsibility to prepare the next kings and queens and prince and princesses to step into that leadership role. And so the book of Proverbs was primarily a parenting journal, which is what I love about it. It's so practical. It's very pithy. And yet in the midst of its kind of practical and pithy, oftentimes when you reflect on it, you realize how profound it is. And Today's proverb is this. It says, put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready. And after that, build your house. This is what I mean. That, that doesn't sound that profound. It's almost borderline. 
Like, huh, why is that even there? This is the beauty of Proverbs. It's those kind of old, why well, I say, I don't know if you remember the Karate Kid, right? He's, that movie, he's like, wax on, wax off. And he's like teaching the, the, the young Karate Kid some wisdom, and he doesn't even know it. He's just doing and saying certain small things. And finally, at the end of the movie, he's like, oh, that's what he was trying to teach me. This is how Solomon was doing. He was trying to teach his children some profound wisdom and very practical wisdom for life in this this put your outdoor work in order and get your fields ready is one of those kind of moments. In fact, the first part that's helpful to understand is that this proverb being lifted out of 3,000 years of history is being plopped down in our culture, which is vastly different. You see, Solomon is writing and speaking these proverbs in a day and age where the society is primary agrarian. What do I mean by agrarian? Agrarian is that your life is centered around planting crops and harvesting crops. The idea of Walmart, Amazon, uh, Wegmans, Stop and Shop, wherever you happen to grocery shop, that idea is radical and new. Most of humans, through most of humanity, throughout hu- humans' history did not have centralized locations that were air-conditioned in which to go pick up produce and products that come from all around the world. The idea of pineapple is a very bizarre thing for a bulk of history for people living in this continent. I mean, pineapple used to be an incredibly rare thing. And now you and I can walk into a grocery store today and buy pineapple or bananas and miss the fact that 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 pineapple that you're consuming has probably been to nicer places than you or I will ever go. In fact, when you eat pineapple, it should be a little bit of a revenge eat because it's seen more beautiful sunsets than probably you and I will ever get to witness. But there's just this kind of danger. We take for granted the world we live in. And in their day and age, they didn't have what we had. We live in this time where we have a notion that all time is created equal. That all time is just time. This was not the way they saw the world. They had a different way of understanding, a different way of navigating time. Because their time, their world was shaped and steeped in the seasonal rhythms of life. If you wanted to eat, you didn't click on Amazon, you planted a seed, you took care of that seed, and you waited for months before you had a shot to eat. And so this required a different way of thinking about life. This this required a different way of understanding life. In fact, this, this was so ingrained that the ancients even had ways of talking about time that we don't. In fact, there was a word in the Greek that was chronos, and that's where we get our word for chronology. And chronos was just sequential time. It's often the version of time we think about when we mention or when we make plans in our calendar. Chronos is just a sequential movement of time. It's hours, minutes, and seconds. But there was a different way of thinking about time that the ancients had. The Greeks had a word for it, and it was kairos. Kairos was a different kind of way of thinking about time. It wasn't sequential time. It was specific seasonal times. It was built around specific moments. And that understanding of Kronos and Kairos shaped the way they saw the world. They understood, and underneath this proverb is a way of understanding that every, every season 
in the kind of environmental world parallels to our own life too. You and I have seasons of life just as much as the climate has seasons too. And this is a kind of a, a weird idea to process through initially, but this is what Solomon's trying to communicate. Oftentimes, Proverbs had both a literal meaning, but a deeper figurative meaning too. And this proverb isn't just about planting crops. It's about choosing how to live your life. And this first part of the win-win is that W-H-E-N is what Solomon's pointing to when he writes this word around the outdoor work. He's challenging his sons and daughters to recognize that there is a seasonality to life, that there's a seasonality to their life, that there is a time that you have right now that's unique to this season that's different than any other season that you've ever been in. So let me give you a couple seasons to start our our mind. If you happen to work in the realm of taxes, specifically personal taxes, then you understand seasons because March and April gets a little crazy for you. It's a season of life. It looks different than November or July. If you're a school teacher, you understand seasons, right? You're looking forward to the season coming up called summer. You're in a different season right now than that season. And all of our lives have these seasonal components to it. If you're a salesman, then your seasons are probably built around quarterly or monthly goals. If you're in kind of product rollout or product design, right, your season's wrapped around getting that item shipped or getting that item approved and getting it on shelves. And the reality is, is that when you understand there is a win to every life that all of us have a win that you are in, it starts to help inform you of what to do within that win. When you understand that there are seasons, not just in the professional world, but in our personal world too, If you are a new parent, you understand seasons because you used to sleep. That was a different season than you're in now. This is a season marked by exhaustion or dirty diapers or potty training. Or if you're a parent of older kids, it's marked by sports schedules and towns that you never knew existed that are now the source and side of tournaments that you travel to and spend way too much money in hotels at. Right? There is a seasonality to our lives. Even as I get older, tomorrow is my birthday, and I keep discovering every year that even my body has some seasons. I used to could run fast. I used to not feel sore the next day. And now I do. Because seasons of life are stages and ages that we fall into. And one of the most important and helpful things is to realize that you are in a season and not all those seasons are predictable or even wanted. Some of you are in a season of grief because you've lost a loved one. Some of you are in a season of grief because you're coming out of a divorce. And you wouldn't have picked these seasons if you could have. But the reality is, is that some seasons you walk into and sometimes they walk into you. And the season that you're in is important. The season that you find yourself in is critical if you're going to win-win. 
Because with every season comes some presence in those seasons. And there is also some pitfalls to every season. I like to ask questions because they help me think. And one of the questions I have for you is what season are you in? Now, we're not just one. There's probably multiple seasons. You may be in a professional season because you're starting a new job, and so you're trying to manage that. Or maybe you're in the midst of some personal seasons, and maybe it's a season of singleness. Maybe it's a season of a new relationship that you're working through. When I first started dating Jenny, I just didn't sleep because we, we would talk because we're both college students. And I, I like to joke that the last time I really slept well was about 16 years ago before we met because I require so much more sleep than she does. But what season are you in? You need to know the answer to that question. Because why did Solomon write this proverb? That's my second question for you. We take for granted that there's this proverb, but why? Why does he say put your outdoor work in order to get your fields ready, and after that build your house? I think it's the after that that clues us into why he writes it. When you choose to kind of dwell on this proverb, you can almost sense the tension underneath or behind the words that he writes. Why does he have to tell his children, focus on the outdoor work and then focus on your house? It's because he knows that when they start out in their adult life, they're going to have an expectation to build a house. They want to kind of lay their own foundation. They want to get started. They want to kind of build this thing up and he's speaking to something that I think is critical when you start to wrestle with the wind that you're in is that every wind that you're in has expectations wrapped around it. And the danger is if you walk into a wind and you're not even aware of the wind that you're in, what you will often find yourself experiencing is frustration and tension because you're going to import expectations from a previous season into this season if you're in a season of grief or you're in a season of sickness you're going to have moments if you haven't recognized that wind that you're in when you're going to say what's wrong with me why can't i move the way i used to move or why why do i get so emotionally exhausted or why am i reacting the way i'm reacting it's because you haven't recognized the wind that you're in You have expectations from that season creeping into this season. If you're a new parent and you step in and you hold that little tiny precious baby and you have brought that expectation that you used to could sleep eight hours a night, if you bring that expectation into this season, you will be constantly frustrated. Why? Because that expectation was good in that season, but it is going to be the root of frustration in this one. If you're in a new job, you're going to find yourself frustrated. Why? Because you left an old job that you understood, that you knew how to do, and there was an expectation you would just show up and it would be easy to go through A, B, and C. But now in this new job, you have to realize they've got new systems and new operating systems and new clicks and forms and websites and protocols and paperwork, new stuff. And it'll be frustrating because you imported those expectations. 
And there are a million different seasons, there are a million different expectations, and the challenge of even having this conversation is that I wish I could sit down with you one-on-one and start to unpack the expectations that are operating underneath the surface that's at the kind of source of your frustration. But I don't. This is why I have to ask you questions, because I can't sit down with you one-on-one. Is that what season are you in? And what expectations have you brought in with it? What expectations have you allowed to creep into this season that just quite frankly doesn't even belong? I think even this past week, there was this kind of social media kind of moment around Mother's Day of uh, women doing all kinds of weird things with their bodies to make the point around this like, what happens to their bodies in the postpartum period? And there were women celebrating kind of the after-pregnancy bodies and that, that kind of started becoming a groundswell on the Internet. And I think so much of that was a rebellion and a bringing to the surface the expectations. Right? My wife right now is about going into her third trimester, and it, she gets frustrated because she could expect before she could just bend down her tire shoe. Right? And we're in this season of things dropping on the ground, and it's like, oh. It's like, I got a schedule picking that thing up, right? I mean, this is crazy. And it's just expectations. And this is why this win-win is so critical, because I think we have to rise and kind of root up the expectations underneath the surface. And if you find yourself in this season of life frustrated, why are you frustrated? So let me ask you a question for you to write down around this. What expectations do you need to adjust in this season? What expectations do you need to adjust in this season? If you're trying to rebuild your marriage, you need to adjust some expectations. If you're trying to walk into a new stage of life, you need to adjust some expectations. If you're grieving in this season, you need to adjust some expectations. So what are they? Because when you're able to identify the wind that you're in and you start to able to process through the expectations underneath the surface that maybe are at the core of your frustration, it puts you in a position to move from win to win, W-I-N. And this is where at the heart of the proverb, you see this guidance, put your outdoor work in order to get your fields ready. And after that, build your house. There seems to be a priority embedded inside of this proverb. This is even reflected in even how the ancients thought about time. Kronos and Kairos looked different. Kairos um, was also happened to be the name for a Greek god of opportunity. And he is like my favorite Greek god visually, um, because weird people like me have that, um, is because when he, the idea of Kairos in the, in the Greek mind and pantheon of their god system was that opportunity would run up beside you and you had to seize it. And that Kairos, as uh, kind of if you ever look up a picture of Kairos, he has a huge kind of mullet in the front. It's this long kind of mane or ponytail in the front of his head, and he's completely bald on the backside. And the idea is that Kairos would run up beside you, and you'd have to seize it, grab the hair in the moment, because if you didn't, he would run on by, and then there would be nothing to grab hold of, because it was completely kind of slim and, and like, whoo, smooth on the backside, and he was gone. This idea of kairos, of you had to grab him in the moment, you had to seize it, and if you didn't, you'd miss it. 
This is, I think, a really great visual around what Solomon is trying to teach his child here. He's trying to teach them this idea where Kronos asks, what time is it? What time is it? Kairos asks, what is this time for? What is this time for? And he says, this time in this proverb is not a time to focus on the house. It's a time to focus on the field. Why? Because... In the agrarian society, there was an understanding that you had a couple of weeks, and if you missed that time frame, if you didn't get seed in the ground, then snow would come, or the rains would come, and then you wouldn't be able to plant. And you would miss the time frame of harvest, and you could potentially starve to death. And so there was this importance around understanding that there are Only certain things that can be done in certain seasons. You can build a house in any season, but you can only plant wheat in certain ones. So he's like, seize the season that you're in. Go focus on the things that you can only focus on now, not focusing on the things that you can focus on anytime. He's trying to unpack the difference between what you could do and what you should do, which are two very different things. About seven or eight years ago to this, um, I was in, no, it was a November, I was in London and I was volunteering around the Olympics. And while I was there, I got a chance to meet this phenomenal guy, his name was John, he was a pastor. And um, John was doing some really cool things, but what was fascinating to me, specifically in that season of life, was he was the father of three amazing women. And I had an opportunity to have breakfast with him. And I'm sitting across the table. And I'm like, John, man, I'm getting ready to have a little girl uh, next month. And I just, I don't have a clue what to do. Man, you seem to have at least figured out something. Could you, like, help me? And he said, yeah, I'd love to give you some advice. Now, I wish I could actually channel his accent because he was... He grew up just south of Scotland, and so it was just, it sounded so much more profound because of the accent. I don't know if you've noticed that. Like, if you have an accent, it just sounds more profound when you talk. Um, But I've never found that when I travel overseas, that people are like, oh, you have an American accent. You're so much wiser. It never works that way, but it always works in reverse. And so he's sitting across the table from me, and he's like, oh, Lassie, that's a great question. Let me tell you. You know, one of the things I realized about my little girls was time. Time is precious. My little girls love to dance. And they would come in and I'd be tired and they'd say, Daddy, dance with me, Daddy. And you know what I did, Laddie? I danced. I'd close the blinds. I'd pick her up and I'd dance. And we would dance to the left and dance to the right. Sometimes she would dance on my feet and sometimes she would dance in my arms. But whenever she said, dance with me, daddy, I danced. You know why? It's because I knew one day, one day another man would step into her life and ask her to dance, and she would, and she would forget about me. There'd be no more dances with me as a daddy. So dance with your daughter. You only have a few more times. It doesn't matter how tired you are. Dance with your little girl. And I was just like, like, I was, boom. I mean, floored. And, and I have to say, honestly, that eight years later, that thing has 
grabbed hold of me because it gave me a way of thinking about time that was more kairos than chronos. And to this day, I still dance with my little girl. In fact, there's this unspoken rule. I'm sure you have rules in life, but one of the rules I have in my life is, and Jenny laughs at me, is that when my little girl asks me a question, it's an automatic yes. It's just a matter of working out when. So, Daddy, play with me? Yes. Daddy, dance with me? Yes. Because what I've noticed in my own little journey is I used to dance with her holding her up here. And now I dance with her and she steps on my toes the entire time. But I recognize that there is coming a day very soon where I won't get to dance with her anymore. And she's seven. And I know I'll blink and ten years from now she won't even want to acknowledge me in public. And, you know, according to our house rules, in 45 years she'll maybe dance with some other guy <laughs> if, if it's time. 45 sounds about right. But I recognize that there is a short time period. And so on Friday nights, we have little family movie night. And when my little girl, and it happens every, every Friday night, movie credits kick on, music happens, and she pops up and she says, Daddy, dance with me. And I'm telling you, if you ever rode by my house and you looked inside on a Friday night, you would be embarrassed for me with what you see me doing. But I don't care. I'm not. Because I realize that I only have a few of those moments. And the more of you that I've talked to or who are in that stage where your kids have left home, I've heard you say to me, man, I'd give my left arm to be able to hold my child again. Because you blink and one day you go from just holding them to they're walking. And they don't want to be held. And these seasons, they happen fast. And they move quickly. And each season of parenting demands a, a different response from you. I, I put inside our message notes at the bottom two podcasts. It's 40 minutes if you listen to both of them back to back. But it's just a, a really helpful framework from a mentor of ours named Andy Stanley. And he just kind of says, here's four stages of parenting. And it's a really helpful framework. If you're in the midst of parenting and you wonder what does seasons look like as a parent, it's a really helpful podcast. It's broken into two parts. I would encourage you to listen to it. If you're married, there are seasons that you have to seize. And there are things that you have to be aware of. This past weekend, I wasn't here because my wife and I was away together without Ella there. Because it's helpful in the midst of trying to manage all the other seasons that we don't neglect the season of marriage that we're in. Because one day, they'll be gone. And I want us to remember even that day why we still like each other so much. And that doesn't happen unless you step away and you remind yourself how funny you are and how beautiful she is or how charming and sweet or how awesome it is when you just hang out and do nothing. Because you can forget that in the midst of managing work life and family life and the pressures. But every season carries with it unique things that you can't get in any other season. And so grab hold of it. Seize it before it gets away. And the Bible was really clear in multiple passages. Solomon would write another phrase that would end up being picked and turned into a song in the 60s about time, that there's a time to laugh and a time to love, a time to hurt, a time to cry. There, there is a time for everything, and don't skip any of them 
because they're critical. Seize the season that you're in before it's too late. And so when you know what season you're in, you're able to say, how do I win? And the win is an acrostic. It's just, it's meant for what's, what's important now. What's the most important thing in this season that you need to seize? And before we get overwhelmed with trying to process through all that, I recognize underneath the surface there is a very legitimate question. Where in the midst of grabbing hold and seizing seasons, it can get exhausting. It can be tiring. If you're in that new parent stage, it feels like there's never going to be a day when you get to sleep. Or if you're in uh, starting a new business or if you're kind of beginning and trying to turn your finances around, it'll never feel like there's going to be a day where you have more money than you have needs or more time than you have. Because seasons have this tendency to pull you in and make you believe it's a life sentence when in fact it's just a life season. The frustrations, the, the exhaustion of every life season can lead us to believe this is a life sentence and it'll never be over. And yet, what does Solomon do? He says, put your outdoor work, get that in order, and then build your house. Behind every win-win is a then. And this, I think, is the secret to staying emotionally engaged and staying emotionally recharged in every single season of life that you're in, is you have to have a way of anticipating what's next. You can grieve in this season because you know that there will be a season when you don't grieve anymore. That you can work hard starting out in this new job because you know that it won't always be a new job. One day you'll be in this job the way you used to be in your old job. And you can start to anticipate what's next. In our family, this is a really helpful thing. When we get into crazy seasons, busy seasons, one of our disciplines is we always plan a then. We say, okay, when we get through this, then we're going to do this. Or then we're going to go there. Or then we're going to celebrate by having this moment. We build into this when the then that we're going to enjoy. And this is a really helpful, inspirational thing for you and I to do. I experience the power of this frequently. When we, um, last year in the midst of writing, we had planned in advance some thens that we were going to do to celebrate when I got through that season of writing. And it was so sweet being able to be in that then and to take a breath and to say, we made it. We got here. And now looking forward to August when little Henry shows up and steps into our world. We're planning thens before he shows up because we realize we won't be sleeping anymore then. And so I'm trying to get my wife to agree to a 9 p.m. bedtime every night because I'm like, we need to sleep because sleep is about to be lost in this household. we got to rally. And so being able to anticipate what's next, building your life, And building that then into your life, it helps you to gain the perspective that puts things in place to help push through the hard, the difficult, the exhausting. Because at the heart of the Proverbs is is ultimately perspective. 
The, the core of the Proverbs was around gaining perspective of life. First, like Jason said last week, by seeing God as supreme above all things and understanding kind of in light of eternity, it changes how we see this life. And then by having that proper perspective, we're able to identify the wind that we're in and then actually identify what's the most important part of that wind. And actually have a win-win in every single season that you go through. And so, I want to leave you with three questions. Every message in this series is very practical, borderline simplistic. But we want to leave you with questions at the end because we realize if we could sit down with you one-on-one, we could help you with this. But the questions can substitute for that. So here are the three questions out of this win-win framework. What expectations do you need to adjust? What opportunities do you need to seize? And what can you look forward to next? So, here they are. What expectations do you need to adjust? What opportunities do you need to seize? And what can you look forward to next? Spend time processing through those decisions, filtering your calendar through those three. And in the end, I think what you'll find is that in this season, you can win, win. Let's pray. Thanks again for joining us. Did you know we've created a free app just for you? Whether you are exploring or want to grow in your faith, the app is a great place to start. If you found today's teaching helpful, we hope you'll subscribe or share it with your friends. We look forward to connecting with you on site or online at Encounter Church soon.